I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by Oakland social justice attorney and recent California State Assembly candidate, Janani Ramachandran. Stay tuned. Gratefully, I've become a student of improvement science, and I find myself just as interested in the journey to get someplace as I am in the impact of the outcome. Okay, okay, so let me preface that this has certainly been an exercise in maturity and patience, but still a rewarding one. And speaking of maturity and patience, thanks so much for listening to the show, sharing it with your friends and neighbors, subscribing, and for following us on social media at MyGoodFriend. So I really like the Toyota Kata model, where you take on a challenge, grasp the current conditions, establish the target, and conduct stepwise experiments and projects to get there. The line of change and improvement isn't always quite linear, and if you're trying to build a political movement, then this road can be exceedingly challenging. But to get some perspective on this, I had a chance to chat with Janani Ramachandran, a social justice attorney and activist from Oakland, California, who recently ran for the California State Assembly in her district. Janani is the daughter and granddaughter of immigrants, and she's been an advocate for vulnerable communities her entire adult life, tackling issues like equity in housing, living wages, and justice for abuse survivors. She was seeking to become California's first South Asian and first LGBTQ AAPI state assemblywoman. And while she didn't win after a hard-fought campaign, she took great pride in building a movement and garnering a significant amount of votes without corporate funding and throwing a disruptive volley into the game of local California politics. I was grateful to catch up with Janani recently and chat about some of the lessons learned and some reflections after the campaign. Have you been able to resolve some of the boundaries that exist between an election loss and and now standing up and building a movement? Yeah, in so many ways, I do see the state assembly race as a win, because while, you know, I lost the vote and didn't win the seat and I'm not sworn in, we really shook things up. We challenged a lot of people's idea of who a politician should be, especially for a state level seat. We frankly really scared a lot of people part of the Democratic Party establishment and, you know, machine politics to show that someone like me who is has never been involved in politics prior to this race um, could actually step up to the plate, build a movement and get so close to winning. In that same notion of shaking it up and someone who didn't have prior experience, um, did that feel uh, at least after the results um, came in? And as you said, sort of there's there's this groundswell for for a movement to be built. Does that experience of even losing the campaign, is it additive um, to this? Was there something that actually strengthens the movement because of that of that loss? Not really. <laughs> I think that a lot, a lot more people would be happy if I had won. But what we did, what we, what we are seeing is that our campaign is already inspiring people to consider running. Um, there are many state assembly candidates um, who have declared across California that are like me, you know, 
progressive, relatively young, progressive people of color who are similarly corporate dollar free, so not taking money from uh, big corporations. Uh, there are many of us, there are many folks who are running in the 2022 election. Mm-hmm. And I know many of them declared before, you know, I made it to the top two, but we're watching closely and are watching, you know, to see, um, you know, what would happen? Like, could I even get far? Could I get more than 40, whatever percent of the votes? And I did. So I think that's inspiring people. Now, my race was very different from a lot of these other races. Um, I not only ran against a candidate who was the wife of the former assembly member that held the seat very recently, but I was up against the attorney general. The California state attorney general was, you know, really running this campaign. And that level of money and power is really unique. Um, So I think a lot of people think that if I got that far with all of that money, two and a half million dollars worth almost, um, and big name recognition, if I could still get that far, well, then many other districts, a candidate like me could actually win. Um, So I think we are inspiring a lot of other people to run. And that was a huge part of my goal to break down the notions of who should run for seats like this. And is that something that for others, and maybe it's a mixture of these things for the politically naive, but um, is that a combination of the strength of your candidacy and the power of the movement and the collective effort of so many grassroots supporters? Or is it perhaps the also reflective of the erosion of such a, a big money candidate, so to speak? Um, I think it's the former because in California, most of these races are Dem versus Dem, and we have a supermajority of Democrats. So the average voter doesn't always quite see the differences and doesn't understand the subtleties of big money and power or the realities of the ethics scandals and, you know, bylaws violations and ethics violations and all that goes on. So to me, what we were able to accomplish shows the strength of grassroots movements. Now, if I were running against a Republican or even a white man, to be honest, you know, that might have been different, but the average voter does not see the influence of, for example, gambling industry money or health insurance industry, you know, playing a role. And one thing that I'm really proud of the fact that we were able to do was connect the dots. So many more people now are talking about why is being a corporate free candidate so important and why is accepting money from certain industries so harmful to policies it's one thing to say you know i don't take money from big corporations but what we did is connect it to policy if you believe in a universal health care system and medicare for all don't accept money from the very industries blocking it there were you know packs with that had contributed and individuals and uh, individual companies who had contributed a quarter of a million dollars to my opponent who did say that she was for Medicare for all. And now that she is elected, I certainly hope she votes for it. But um, to me, it's an oxymoron. And a lot of, there are different interests that play across California and a lot of Southern California uh, districts, it's influence of oil and gas money because of the presence of it there and how they fund elections. But that's not as always in the public eye. Um, in my race, it also has a lot to do with ethics and criminal corruption. Um, for example, the gambling industry paid played a major role in my campaign. And normally, everyone's like, "What are these casinos giving you know money? Doesn't doesn't matter?" Or that's kind of weird, but okay. But we connected the dots. 
some of these very same casinos were giving um, were sued by the former state attorney general, Javier Becerra. They had their licenses revoked for creating opportunities for money laundering and all sorts of ethical scandals and well, real criminal activity. And yeah. um, so it, this is clearly, you know, currying favor with the current attorney general's wife and the current attorney general. So I think there's a level of nuance that we really started to build up. Um, that people actually heard about police unions, um, the corporations like McDonald's pouring in money because they opposed policies that I was talking about, including a $22 minimum wage. Um, and, you know, people will differ on their views on these issues and corporations will exist. They'll stimulate our economy. They have a role in our society. You know, I'm all for economic development. I just don't think they have a role in deciding who gets elected and buying votes. That's why it was so important to me and why I think that's something our campaign highlighted when otherwise it just looked like a dem on dem to women running kind of race. I'm curious for yourself and someone who certainly learned a lot about politics running this campaign and, and with your candidacy, what reflections or lessons did you learn about yourself through this whole experience? Um. No one's really born with a thick skin, but you can grow one. And I learned that I could grow a thick skin. It's not easy to see negative comments about yourself on the internet. And of course, even though everyone says, don't go reading things on the internet, that's of course what I did. And of course what a first time candidate like me would do, um, because you wanna know, you want everyone to like you. And I think it was a powerful lesson to really make solid that absolutely not everyone's ever gonna like you. And if they are, then you're doing something wrong. Um, so I realized that, you know, internet trolls, naysayers, opponents to whatever you're, you represent will always be out there and that I can handle it. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Janani Ramachandran. Eight years on the mic and I'm not joking. Sir, too short, coming straight from Oakland. California, home of the rock. Eight woofers in the trunk, beating down the block. Short dog, I'm that rapping man. I said it before and I say it again like this. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Janani Ramachandran. You know, a victory certainly would have made you the California's first South Asian Assemblywoman, the first LGBTQ um, API Assemblywoman. Um, does that resonate any differently today compared to while you were campaigning? Are, uh, is the motivation um, there to certainly continue the effort in that same spirit? How has that maybe changed, if at all? Yeah, I didn't run because of my identity. It was, imp it's important. It's a missing piece, in my opinion. And, you know, I certainly want to do things to make sure that we have a South Asian woman, that we have any API Democratic woman. Because I think the most shocking point for anyone that I mentioned some of these facts to is the fact that we have zero API Democratic woman. We have one API Republican, but we're a state. The Asian Asian Americans are the fastest growing population in the state of California. We represent over 13% of California and are still treated as a minority and have zero representation as far as women in the legislature goes. And I think 
there's a lot of lip service paid among Asian American, which includes, of course, South Asian communities of, yes, this is important, but people are not willing to put their money where their mouth is to actually do anything um, to make sure that happens. And realistically, in my race, I was the only API Democratic woman, but a lot of API leaders wanted to follow the lead of who's in power, which is the state attorney general, many of whom who have personal connections and friendships with. So ultimately, being close to power outweighed the importance to so many people of electing an API Democratic woman. Um, and among other communities, there's also a lack of a concept of giving a political candidates. There are plenty of API communities, uh, particularly, you know, Indian and Chinese communities with access to capital who could be making to contributions and are not because that is not something that a lot of folks have done. But there's also a, this risk averseness, which, you know, unfortunately, other minority ethnic groups um, stand up to the plate and are willing to invest more in, in their women of color. And unfortunately, you know, API communities, it is a reality, are not willing to do the same. I personally experienced a lot of sexism from the API community mm. and unwillingness, even when I won the primary, even yeah. then, an unwillingness to take a risk. Um, and that was, and that is upsetting. And I think that is a major reason why we don't have an API Democratic woman. Do you think that for the most part, there's some fixing to do even within our API communities, even within the South Asian community to perhaps be less risk averse, to be more open for candidates who are bringing change or progress uh, versus change averse or, or security based political engagement, if you will? I mean, Everyone I know in the South Asian community was so proud of Kamala Harris for becoming vice president. But if we want more Kamala Harris's, we can't just celebrate people once they've won. We need to help people from the ground up. You need to support your local candidates running for school board, city council, even state assembly. You know, it's not even it's some amount of money, some amount of volunteering your time. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, lack of funds was very much the reason I lost. You know, I did, I, I was outsent five to one. And a lot of candidates win being outsent two to one or three to one, but five to one is really, really hard to win. If I had more money, I would have won. And that is, that's the thing that most people in this district know, uh, especially because we got so close being outsent five to one. Um, we spent an average of $12 per vote. My opponent spent 72. So if you look dollars per vote, so if you look at, you know, who's going to give you the biggest return on your investment, it's going to be someone like me. It's going to be a grassroots candidate that's really hungry for change, not the establishment. And if we want more representation, we have to invest in candidates that look like us. In some ways, because you mentioned that your identity wasn't necessarily the main reason that you ran, yet is is such a part of you. And of course, is your link back to the AAPI and the South Asian community. Being the child of South Asian immigrants, were there any touch points on the campaign, um, on this journey that kind of served as reminders of that, good or bad? I mean, I think I think the donation by the don donations by our community um, to a campaign certainly served as one reminder. Were, were there any others as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was, I'm very proud to be, you know, from an immigrant family from India. From, I mean, I love the fact that 
thousands of voters across my district were struggling to pronounce my name and had conversations about how to pronounce a name. I know a lot of people were making Google searches on how to pronounce my first name or last name. And I, you know, I've never shortened my name. I've never used nicknames. And people said, aren't you going to for a campaign? I said, no, people can learn how to pronounce. You can pronounce very complicated names of other cultures. Ramachandran is not that hard, nor is Genanese. So um, I think that was exciting to me to be able to authentically represent my family's name and, you know, the name that they had given me in um, in the political arena. And that's something I continue to do. And I hope others continue to be proud of, you know, that heritage and those roots. And um, yeah, I mean, I very, very often talked about you know, my grandparents' own journey to the United States, you know, them um, struggling to make ends meet, eventually, you know, having a job that was represented by a labor union and, you know, a pathway to an American dream and an American dream that doesn't exist anymore for the average person. You cannot work a minimum wage job and own a house in the Bay Area. You cannot, you know, work minimum wage or close enough jobs and afford health insurance and afford to send your kids to college or a decent pension. And those are things that, you know, were a part of my family's experiences of having some of that stability eventually. And we need more pathways to let more people live out the American dream. And and speaking of which, I mean, you've made a career, a mission out of fighting for, for equity and, you know, fighting on behalf of vulnerable communities your, for much of your adult life. Can you share and even describe what forces and systems um, prevent the acceleration of some of these basic rights, especially to people who may not necessarily understand the magnitude of some of these, whether it's housing or environmental equity, living wage, some of these issues that, that are so profoundly important? Yeah, what I mean, this is something I reiterated a lot on the campaign. What's blocking progress in so many of these things is corporate money, our corporate Democrats, our Democrat candidates that are, you know, funded by these big corporations who are blocking change. You can say one thing to voters and then be funded by certain industries who want you to do the opposite, and you're ultimately going to listen to the people that are funding your campaigns to and, and vote according to them and everyone wants to deny oh you know i will still be independent i'll keep my that hasn't happened we've had those promises for years we've had decades of talking about a green new deal and universal health care and better funded public schools we've had so many years of talking about that there's a reason that's not in practice californians as voters are supportive of all of these things which for the most part you know environmental justice universal health care living wages better funded schools these are not controversial issues at least in california and especially in districts like mine the 18th assembly district which is very progressive um, but there is there are very clear reasons why it's not happening and a huge part of that is corporate money in in politics. I mean, there's also, no one wants to accept it, but a lot of sexism in who gets elected. There's a lot of racism in who gets elected and so many other things preventing candidates like me from accessing those positions to be elected. Um, And we need to, you know, do the work to dismantle that. Um, Yeah, even in my campaign, there was a lot of there were anti-Indian sentiments that my opponent propagated. You know, you're not really American or making up rumors and lies about family members of mine. It was disgusting. But that is what happens. Even if it comes from another candidate of color, 
There's lots of that that goes on. We don't want to accept it because it's, we're not only in California, we're the Bay Area, so we're better than that, but that happens yeah. all the time in political campaigns. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Janani Ramachandran. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with social justice attorney Janani Ramachandran. Let me ask you this, because you use the word dismantle, let's say the outcomes were a little bit different. And as someone who's been advocating and fighting and pivoting from leading a struggle to, to governing, how, how does one make that pivot cleanly going uh in this sort of spirit of disrupting and dismantling what are our major forces that work against some of these basic things to actually governing for for everyone does do you risk more tribalism because of that does do you then poorly represent your constituents um, in in a victory like this i mean how, how do you imagine that those you know resolutions may be maybe happening after after the fact of of either winning and in, and in this case losing but but certainly, um, how do you make that pivot towards uh, a sort of clean governance? Yeah, I mean, if your question is pertaining to something that I heard got a lot during the campaign of how are you running as so much of an activist in a system that is inherently not? And how do you build coalitions to pass the things you want to pass if you work operating in this system of, um, you know, entrenched corruption and the political game and money buying votes and all of that? And the answer is we change the system. We can elect more candidates that think like me. We can. We don't have to accept the rules as what they are. There are a third of the legislature will be termed out by 2024. That is, a, that is an opportunity to bring in a whole category of new electeds um, already so soon because you have 12-year maximum term limits. That is, that is a whole blank slate, a whole new opportunity to bring in people that think differently. And that's just 2024. We have so much potential in the next few years to change what the system looks like. But in the meantime, I think coalition building is something that I certainly did in the course of my campaign. I was the more progressive candidate who won the most number of Republican precincts. There were uh, precincts in my district that were... Which is shocking, by the way. I mean... Entirety, you know, I, I won Alameda, which is where my opponents from, hands yeah. down. Yeah. There were public 20%, which is like the highest, I think, in the entire district of precincts, um, where 20% of the, of the voting population were Republicans, and I got 60% of the votes. So I think there is an ability to find common ground, to build coalitions with maybe people who might not agree on everything with you, but can agree on a lot of things. For example, I found a lot of hope in the fact that People from across the political spectrum were really excited about raising the minimum wage. Not everyone might have agreed on the number of $20 an hour, but there was a very common thread among different people who believed, you know, our wages are too long. Um, and similarly, there were many people who believed maybe now because of the pandemic more than ever that, you know, I think we should think about a universal healthcare system and what that would be like. And 
that really was heartening to me. And I'm like, if I can bridge these divides, even across party lines, I can certainly do that in the state legislature, which does have a super majority of Democrats. Um, and I think if we stop putting people in boxes and start focusing on how people feel about certain issues, we'll get a lot farther than what we are at a statewide level. And federal politics is a totally different game. But I think if we want to progress as Californians, because we have a lot of work to do on everything from education to poverty to housing to our criminal justice system, there's so much work to do. And if we want to make real progress, we have to break down those barriers and focus on the issues and find the common ground um, and stop name calling and blaming and things like that and, and get and get to it. And it varies very much as possible, in my opinion. You mentioned we're from the Bay Area and we, we sort of rise above these kinds of shenanigans. But what's the work that needs to be done now to, in fact, both build those coalitions, engage in that dialogue within the Democratic Party with your opponent who won for your district that you were trying to represent what are what are some of those efforts that that need to happen now i mean the 44 percent of the people that voted for me have to hold our now elected assembly member accountable make sure that she's living up to those promises that she made making sure that corporations are not you know buying her votes and and it's hard to tell because it shows up in very nuanced ways there are a lot of democrats who are funded by political leaders cast decent votes but are not introducing legislation that they said they would or are watering down bills that are otherwise progressive and based on campaign promises or you know leaving out certain industries from things and there are we have, we have to pay close attention not just okay looking at the votes on certain bills or have to and there are a lot of activist groups in the east bay that are paying attention and will pay attention and ultimately, this is a democracy. You know, there are only two-year terms for uh, assembly members and state senators. Um, you know, in mostly Democratic districts, it's not often that, you know, an incumbent is voted out, but it very much is possible if that person is not living up to their campaign promises. As we have right now across California, many of the progressives, uh, the corporate pre-progressives pre I mentioned, are challenging incumbents who did not live up to those promises. And that is democracy, and then we need to make sure that constituents and grassroots organizations are holding themselves accountable. Um, there's an obvious psychology to to all of this and your experiences, um, you know, in running a campaign and not getting the votes that you wanted. Um, what kinds of motivations now, it, you know, are there for you to continue this? Um, you know, the, the average person would would pivot someplace else, um, uh, perhaps, but in your case, sir, are you you're continuing this this fight, this struggle, and what are some of the pathways towards doing that now? Yeah, no, I'm I'm in too deep to leave politics right now. Um, you know, we have we had so much momentum. We had a thousand volunteers by the end of it. We, um, you know, we did raise through grassroots organizing, you know, four hundred fifty thousand dollars. We got endorsements of fifty local organizations. And I have to channel that momentum into something, um, you know, while I'm probably not running for this particular seat anytime soon, I will be running for something else and stay tuned to learn what later. <laughs> Let me ask you this. We only have a couple of minutes left, but, you know, as you mentioned, there's uh, inspiration to be had, right, uh, with uh, others who are 
uh, uh, South Asian Americans or um, persons of color. Um, there may be other Johnanese or, or other Americans uh, across the country who are inspired by what you were doing and, and you know, we're thinking of civic engagement. Um, what do you think are some tangible lessons or pieces of advice that, that you'd offer to the next South Asian American who might be considering an experience like this? Absolutely go for it. You know, no one is going to give you permission. No one's going to encourage you to do it. You just have, you believe that this is what you want to do. Go for it. Whatever the role might be, state Senate, school board, city council, whatever it is, you cannot wait for someone to tell you to run and you cannot wait for the party or certain organizations or whatever to say, oh yeah, you know, we give you permission to run now because it's never going to happen. Um, we need people who are motivated to change whatever laws, whatever systems that they feel harmed by and that they feel are impacting their constituents. It, you have to be proactive, um, but absolutely go for it. Even if you lose, you make waves um, and you continue to, you know, challenge the system in the way that, you know, our campaign did. Um, so absolutely do it know that it is a fight. It's a lot of work. You know, I gave up a lot to be here and do what I'm doing. It takes a toll on you, certainly emotionally, professionally, personally, for sure. But um, to me, it's totally worth it. Well, I think we're glad and grateful for all you do. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. And we hope we'll be able to connect with you again. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jenny. And just to note that October 4th is Child Health Day here in the United States. So take a moment to focus on what you can do to advance public health, education, climate action, and equity to keep kids healthy and thriving everywhere. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. Hey, this is Samika, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio, the world's largest South Asian radio station. 